Merry Christmas, everybody. It's good to see y'all. Brianna, sorry she couldn't be here. She actually, her grandfather passed away. It's her second grandfather this year. And so she went up there, the funeral's today. So she, we had a kind of a hectic time getting the kids ready and all that. And we were supposed to go up there anyway tomorrow uh, to Sumter. That's where uh, her family lives, but she needed to go a day early. So she's sorry she couldn't be here. But if you would, please pull out your sermon outline so we can... You can follow along this morning. Uh, I wanted to share as we get started on the Christmas story today. Uh, a story, well, it's actually something that happened in my life several years ago. I had the privilege of meeting this particular individual through my work. Um, and one of the things that was unusual for me is this particular individual who knew they didn't have much longer to live. And, you know, it's not uncommon for people to want to see a pastor ministered in this time, but this guy wanted to see somebody regularly, like, kind of like urgent, you know, it was like a urgent type situation. And so I go to meet this individual, and it was a man from Scotland, and he was married to a woman from Spain. I can't even really share. We kind of, you know, did a little meet and greet, got to know him a little bit. They shared how they met, and I can't even remember the story. It's been so long now. One of the things that was neat about this particular man is, well, he was in a situation where he knew he didn't have much longer. He didn't know how much longer he had here. It could have been days, could have been weeks or months, um, but he did, he wasn't sure. So I got to talking to him a little bit, and basically the gist of the conversation, the reason he wanted to see me is he was wanting to know, like, what's going to happen to me? Like, am I... Am I right with God? Have I made peace with God? Am I in right standing with God? Am I going to go to heaven? He had a lot of this. That's kind of what he was wanting. He believed in God. And once we got to talking, he believed in God. And I kind of asked him some basic questions, you know, like what he does believe so he could tell me kind of a gist of where he stood. And sure enough, he did believe in God. He believed in Jesus Christ. He believed about Jesus dying on the cross for his sins. And all those things that the scriptures teach us, he was in agreement on some of those things. Some of the main, what I would call the main theological questions of whether or not someone, uh, where they stand, whether or not they're a Christian or not. And one of the things that was kind of interesting about this individual is he just, it really struck me, he had such a humility about him. There was no like false pretense, there was no, it was just totally like this, you know, we talked about, you know, how, how Jesus talks about how, we want to have a. We need to have a childlike faith. He had that kind of a faith to him, and I don't know anything about his life story. I don't even know what kind of man he was. Maybe he wasn't the best guy. He seemed in that moment like to be a genuine person, but I, I have no clue to this day what type of life he lived. And to be honest, it didn't matter because uh, in his final moments, at least, he he knew where he stood. And it was kind of a neat opportunity for me to say, you know what, because you believe those things, because John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, it says that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, that's a promise. Uh, for this individual, he may not have gone to church a lot. He may not have done a lot of good deeds he wished he could have done, but he believed in Christ. And that was all he needed to be united with God for all eternity in heaven. It was kind of a... He was in a situation where he had some breathing issues. And like it was, it was to the point where if he were to walk across this room, he'd, have to, he'd, be, he'd almost like wear himself out for the day. You know, that kind of a condition he was in. 
And one of the things, the passages of the books of the Bible that kind of stuck out to me is because I was encouraging them to read certain passages is the book of Philippians. Because Paul was actually in jail, so Paul was literally confined to a space. And so here he was, due to his physical conditioning, uh, literally confined to his living room. He really couldn't go anywhere without, you know, almost like ruining his day. But it was just a really neat conversation. And one of the things that I'm reminded as we read this Christmas story is that Jesus came for him. Jesus came to this world for this man I met. He came for me, came for each of you here today on an individual level. And let's look in uh, Luke chapter 2 in your notes, if you want to read along with me, of what we know as the Christmas story. And to this day, when I read this passage, I'm, I immediately go back to that Charlie Brown Christmas. You know, where they read this very passage. <laughs> That's kind of like the, the association I have with this passage. Look what it says in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 16. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. It will cause great joy for all people, for all the people today in the town of David. The Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And I want to talk about a couple of things. Let's talk about the coming of Christ and how He comes into the world to be the Savior of all men. But I want to go through a couple of points that I think are practical so we can apply this to our life, apply the Christmas story to our own life. Point number one is Christ's love overlooks our shortcomings. You know, talking about this person I was interacting with. You know, it didn't matter. In this moment, it didn't matter what he had or hadn't done. It didn't matter his, you know, checklist of morality or whatever he, you know, maybe any regrets he had. In that moment, all that matters is that he believed in Christ and that Jesus was his Savior. And I came across a story I wanted to share with you about a student whose teacher at first didn't quite believe in him but then had a change of heart and started to invest in this young student. Listen to this story. It's from a book uh, titled Courage. You can stand strong in the face of fear. And it's written by a man named John Johnston. This is a story. It tells a story about a young boy named Ted Stollard. And it goes like this. Ted Stollard undoubtedly qualifies as one of the least. Turned off by school, very sloppy in appearance, expressionless, unattractive, even his teacher, Miss Thompson, enjoyed bearing down her red pen as she placed X's beside his many wrong answers. If only she had studied his records more carefully, they read. So here he was, I believe he was in fifth grade, and this is his record for each year of school. First grade says, Ted shows promise with his work and attitude, but has poor home situation. Second grade, Ted could do better, mother seriously ill, receives little help from home. Third grade, Ted is a good boy but too serious, he is a slow learner, his mother died this year. 
fourth grade. Ted is very slow but well behaved. His father shows no interest whatsoever. Christmas arrived. The children piled elaborately wrapped gifts on their teacher's desk. Ted brought one too. It was wrapped in brown paper and held together with scotch tape. Sounds like my wrapping jobs that I do. Miss Thompson opened each gift as the children crowded around to watch. Out of Ted's package fell a gaudy rhinestone bracelet with half of the stones missing and a bottle of cheap perfume. The children began to snicker, but she silenced them by splashing some of the perfume on her wrist and letting them smell it. She put the bracelet on, too. At the day's end, after the other children had left, Ted came by the teacher's desk and said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mother. And the bracelet, look, the bracelet looks real pretty on you. I'm glad you like my presence. He left. Miss Thompson got down on her knees and asked God to forgive her and to change her attitude. The next day, the children were greeted by a reformed teacher, one committed to loving each of them, especially the slow ones, especially Ted. Surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, Ted began to show great improvement. He actually caught up with most of the students and even passed a few. Time came and went. Miss Thompson heard nothing from Ted for a long time. Then one day she received this note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I will be graduating second in my class. Love, Ted. Four years later, another note arrived. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me I will be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Ted. And four years later, dear Miss Thompson... As of today, I am Theodore Stollard, M.D. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know I'm getting married next month, the 27th to be exact. I want you to come and sit where my mother would sit if she were alive. You're the only family I have now. Dad died last year. Miss Thompson attended that wedding and sat where Ted's mother would have sat. The compassion she had shown that young man entitled her to that privilege. Let's have some, and then the story concludes, says, let's have some real courage. Start giving to one of the least. He may become a Ted Stollard. Even if that doesn't happen, we will have been faithful to the one who has always treated us as unworthy as we are, like very special people. I think there's a parallel with how God treats us. So that woman, the teacher, had a change of heart, right? This troubled student, uh, kind of had some hard times in his family life. His mother passed away when he was young. And his dad didn't really show a lot of interest in what he was doing. And sure enough, this one teacher literally had a come to Jesus meeting, if you will. She repented of how her attitude had been toward this hapless little student, right? She said, realized, hey, I need to change my attitude. And so sure enough, she changed her attitude, starts believing and investing in this kid. And this kid became more than he would have if she hadn't believed in him. And I believe the same is true with God in our lives, we don't see like we're worthy of His love. We don't feel like we do enough. But God sees what we're doing. God is proud of each and every one of us. And Jesus loves us no matter what. We also got to be careful. I put as a sub point. Is don't let a few bad experiences turn you away from God. And this happens to so many people. There, I believe in right now in this community there are people who haven't been to church in years. Who used to go to church and something turned them off. Maybe it was... Something that somebody said to them, some something rude that somebody said to them, and somehow they started associating the church at large with maybe one individual or a group of individuals and their bad attitude, and they kind of 
put church off for years and years, and now it's just a point where they don't even bother with it anymore. How many of y'all have ever been to like maybe a restaurant that maybe had some good experiences and you had like that one bad experience? Remember going to this restaurant, local restaurant, I won't name it's a good it's a good restaurant, but I went there one time and had the fish tacos. Let's just say they were a little bit raw one time, you know what I'm talking about? Where it's kind of like still kind of that pink meat where it should be like white meat, you know what I'm talking about? So I had these tacos and I had several good experiences in this particular restaurant and this one particular incident. How many of y'all like fishy fish tacos? They may like the fishy. I mean, some people like just eat whatever, seafood, you know, I'm kind of a little bit peculiar, I want it kind of cooked, you know what I'm saying, and so if you're one of those people who likes kind of the raw stuff, uh, power to you, but I had, I had a bad experience, I'll be honest, I didn't go for a while, I've been since, I've kind of gotten over it, I don't think I've ordered the fish tacos since then, but uh, needless to say, it's a good restaurant, and I'm glad I gave it another chance, because I've had a good meal since that point in time, but I think in a lot of ways... People can be that way either toward church or even toward their relationship with God. And sometimes it's based on maybe a bad life experience happens to them. Something happens that was kind of kind of marked a person. You ever had something that kind of marked you, if you will? Uh, maybe even kind of marked your life and was a significant time in your life. And you look back, you're like, if God was so good, where was He when that was going on in my life? Uh, I wanted to share with you from uh, devotional about during World War II, I want you to listen to this. This is really kind of an interesting scenario in the history of, of German churches. Listen to this. It says, During World War II, Hitler commanded all religious groups to unite so that he could control them. Among the brethren assemblies, half complied and half refused. Those who went along with the order had a much easier time. So Hitler's basically... Using his dictatorship to start controlling the church. Some people are like, some of the churches are like, all right, we'll go along with it, whatever. I don't like it, whatever. But the others are like, no, we're not going along with this. So it says, those who did not go along with it, it says, faced harsh persecution in almost every family of those who resisted. Someone died in a concentration camp. When the war was over, feelings of bitterness ran deep between the groups, and there was much tension. Finally, they decided that the situation had to be healed. Leaders from each group met at a quiet retreat for several days. Each person spent time in prayer, examining his own heart in the light of Christ's commands. Then they came together. So basically there's some animosity because there was the people who resisted. Those are those who complied. Another, you know, Hitler's gone. Another forced to deal with the issue. And there's some bitterness between them. So this is how it unfolds. It says, Francis Schaeffer, who told the incident, asked a friend who was there, what did you do then? And then he replies, he says, we were just one. He replied, as they confessed their hostility and bitterness to God and yielded to His control, the Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among them. Love filled their hearts and dissolved their hatred. When love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong disagreement, it presents to the world an indisputable mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. It's pretty powerful to see what the Holy Spirit did. I mean, I can imagine if I had been like a pastor in that scenario and I would resisted, maybe lost loved ones or family members, even church members in concentration camps. Imagine the animosity and tension. It is amazing to hear the story of how the Holy Spirit healed a group 
of divided people. And I had number point number two. So we go into this Christmas season. Listen to what I had. It's point number two. It says, Christ came so that we could love others. And I asked the sub-question, who's the, quote, Cousin Eddie in your life that you need to love better this Christmas? Don't elbow the person next to you. Uh, some of you, as you know, you're going to be spending time maybe with some family, people you don't see very often. How many of y'all know that sometimes these can be rocky times, right? Anybody ever had a rocky situation with some in-laws or maybe even your own family? You might even like your own your in-laws better than your own family, depending on what's your family dynamic. Uh, how many of y'all seen the movie Christmas Vacation, right? Y'all know who Cousin Eddie is. He's... The cousin who's just obnoxious, he's awkward. You know, he's like the cousin you don't want to be seen in public with. Um, he shows up not welcome, right? He just totally just shows up at the house and Clark's just totally like, oh my word, i got to deal with this guy. He gets under people's skins, he has no decency. He's essentially a representation of the most obnoxious person in your life. Maybe it's not family, maybe it's not in-laws, maybe it's a co-worker, maybe it's someone... You have to deal with on a regular basis that you prefer not to deal with. We all have a person like that that we could probably think of in our lives. I wanted to share with you a a story about a couple that was on the brink of ending their marriage. They got to this point where they just couldn't do it anymore. And I want you to hear this story because I think it applies to a lot of areas of our lives Newspaper columnist and minister George Crane tells of a wife who came into his office full of hatred toward her husband. Says, I do not only want to get rid of him, I want to get even. Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he has me. Dr. Crane suggested an ingenious plan. Go home and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be as kind, considerate, and generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe you love him. After you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, then drop the bomb. Tell him that you're getting a divorce that will really hurt him. With revenge in her eyes, she smiled and exclaimed, Beautiful, beautiful, will he ever be surprised? And she did it with enthusiasm, acting as if. For two months she showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, sharing. When she didn't return, Crane called. Are you ready now to go through with a divorce? Divorce, she exclaimed. Never. I discovered I really do love him. Her actions had changed her feelings. Motion resulted in emotion. The ability to love is established not so much by fervent promise as much as often repeated deeds. Now put in your note a quote that I think applies to a lot of our lives in a lot of situations. And obviously in this particular situation where she was going out for revenge by being nice and say, all right, I'm out of here. And what happens is she found that when she acted loving towards someone that she was struggling to love, she realized that the feelings kind of caught up with that. And I've seen that, not obviously not in a situation like that particular situation, uh, but I've had situations in my life where there was somebody that I struggled to love naturally. You know what I'm talking about? Where they just get under your skin. Uh, you just can't seem to get along with them no matter how hard you try. I've learned that if you start actually like trying, you know, kind of faking it till you make it a little bit, that sometimes those feelings actually catch up to their, your actions. Look what C.S. Lewis says in your notes, and I love this quote. 
says, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. You know, not, not too long ago, there was somebody in my life where I was just struggling to be loving toward. Like, totally struggling. Can you relate to that? Where you just, they get under your skin. Like, and this is a person I didn't have to spend a lot of time with, but when you're around, you're like, oh, you just, you're walking on pins and needles. I'm kind of a, I try to get along. I try to be a kind of a peaceful person. I'm the type, like, if you aggravate me, you're probably not going to know. You know, <laughs> it's going to be a bad thing. I, like, stew on it or something. This is one of those types of situations and so this person did several things that just totally got under my skin, if you will. And I kind of just, I had to like pray about it. And anytime I was around this person, I had to like pray about it. Like, God, help me to be nice to this person. I know they're going to, you know, help me to get, I've actually prayed, well, like, help me to get along with this person. And sure enough, years had gone by. And as time has gone on, I still don't see this person very often, but I've actually kind of gotten to where I like being around. It's kind of like a mirror. It's been like this change. And I think it all started with a change in my attitude toward this other person. And what happened is as I started acting loving toward this person, sure enough, those feelings started to follow a little bit behind there. But I, want, I put it as a sub-point as we kind of close out this morning is we need to let bygones be bygones. Not too long ago I was talking to somebody and they were just venting a frustration with another person. And this wasn't something, someone in their family, it was just somebody that have to kind of be around on a limited basis, if you will. They were just kind of venting frustration over something that happened several years ago. If I sat and told you the whole scenario, you'd be like, that's just silly, that's not even that big of a deal. But this other person was rude to them, right? They were mean to them. Uh, They weren't very nice in this particular situation. And one of the things I've kind of observed from afar, and I don't know the the offender very well. I know who they are, but I don't really know much about them. Is one of the things I realized in this situation is this individual has been stewing over this. This has been going on for a while. They're still stewing over it. They have to see this person on a limited basis. And they have that kind of that kind of grind their teeth when they're around them type of situation going on. And it came up, and I don't know how it came up. I just kind of mentioned that. You know, you probably need to forgive that person. And of course, sure enough, that didn't go over too well. You know, now, now I'm going to be the offender. No, not really. Uh, but one of the things that we do struggle with, we struggle to let bygones be bygones. This is something that was minor. It happened a long time ago. And to be honest, the person that offended him probably doesn't sit around thinking about it at all. You ever had that before? You were mad at someone. They didn't even know you were mad at them. You know, I've had that happen in my life. They don't even know you're upset over something they did. Um, This Christmas season, think about that person in your life. It could be someone you have to spend a little time with the next couple days. Uh, It could be somebody you deal with at work, whoever it may be. Uh, We need to let bygones be bygones. You know, the scripture talks about in Luke 2, 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests so we can have number one we have peace with God but we need to have peace we need to display and reflect that peace we have with God and our peace that we have with other people and if there's someone in your life this morning um, that you're struggling to love maybe this is an opportunity during our uh, response time to say you know what Lord I struggle being around this person Uh, maybe it's someone you're going to be around tomorrow, starting tomorrow for a few days whatever it is in your life 
uh, you struggle to be around them, they get under your skin. Maybe they aren't just a rude person. You know, I don't, I don't deny that. If you tell me someone's just been constantly rude, I'm probably going to believe you. And maybe they're just an unhappy person. How many of y'all heard that saying before that hurt people hurt people? Usually a lot of times it's people that are the rudest or the meanest or the ones have the, their own struggles that they try to cover up or hide. And what they do is they end up kind of lashing at other people a lot because of what they're dealing with internally. So I want you to think about being the bigger person in that situation, being the bigger person amongst people that maybe you have a struggle to deal with uh, in your life. And so we can be those people of peace that God has called us to. So let's pray as we go into a time of response and worship as we go into this Christmas season God has given to us. Heavenly Father, I just pray over each of us we've made peace with You, but maybe there's somebody or some bodies in our life that we haven't made peace with. Maybe it's someone we work with. Maybe it's somebody in our family that we just struggle to love. Lord, I pray that we would start with us, that we would start with our attitude, that you would change our attitude toward them, that we would have your attitude of love, that we would have your attitude of acting as if we love them and letting the feelings catch up. I pray that we would let go any past offenses or rude comments they may have made to us, that we would forgive them, that we would move on and that we would move on and be that person of peace, that we would be a bigger person, that we would reflect You in that relationship, that we would honor You by loving them even when it's difficult to do so. So I pray that You'll bless our Christmas time with family or friends and loved ones. I just pray that You'll be with us, that we would have a time where we just sense Your peace and presence and love in our lives. We thank You for coming to this earth so that we could be restored in our relationship with you. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.